we have much to celebrate in who God is. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and have been a great time with family and friends. I'm glad you're here. We'll be praying for our many friends who are traveling still on their way back home from the time with family and friends. But I'm glad you've made it safely home and we're here today to celebrate how exalted and good God is. We'll find Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our journey through Ephesians. And I want to ask you this morning, have you ever realized you were imitating someone without meaning to? Have you ever said or done something and paused in the moment and went, that's exactly what my mom and dad did. And you realize you've now picked up their mannerisms, their words, their ways of doing things. Or if you're a parent, have you ever watched your kids say something and you shook your head and went, oh no, they got that from me. Or you've seen their mannerisms, their actions, and you went, they're copying just like me. They're imitating you without even meaning to. But students, high school, college, have you ever noticed you're picking up on the mannerisms of your friends? That as you go through your years in school together with your friends, that by the time you graduate, your words, your mannerisms sound a lot alike. You're imitating each other without setting out and meaning to do so. Because why does that happen? Why do we imitate other people in our words and our actions? Well, I think it's two reasons. One, the more time you spend with people, you just notice stuff. And there's a deeper reason as well. I think because there's a longing in our hearts to belong. There's a longing in our hearts to be in community, to be in relationship with people. And the more and more we put our identity in those relationships, the more that identity leads to similar actions with those we are around. I want to you to see this morning that our identity is what really leads to our actions. And the more we identify with our family, the more we identify with our friends, the more we will begin to act like them. Now, before we get to Ephesians, I want you to imagine something for just a minute here. Imagine a billionaire moves to Montgomery and befriends you. Nice dream, right? You know, a billionaire moves and he befriends you. And every day, he and his family have you into their house for meals. He takes you on trips with them. When they go on their exotic vacations, he puts you on their, his private plane and takes you on all of his trips along with himself. He gives you his box at sporting events. He gives you gifts, buys you new cars. This billionaire just lavishes gifts upon you. Do you think after four or five years of you hanging out every day in the house of a billionaire, do you think you might change some because of that? Yeah, I think we, we all would. The more we're immersed in his wealth and his lifestyle, our taste in food would probably change. We probably might not be as excited about those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or chicken nuggets or Chick-fil-A anymore. Our taste in our clothes would change. Our taste in our cars would change. Our taste in our vacation would change. It wouldn't be meaning to change it, but the more and more we identify in that relationship and that friendship, the more identity is wrapped up in that relationship, the more our actions would follow in that, friends, our identity leads to our actions. Now, what does that have to do with Ephesians, and what does that have to do with real life? Because I'm not aware of any billionaire moving in and becoming friends with any of you. If he has, come talk to me. I'd love to get to know you better. Just, just kidding on that. But what does that have to do with real life on this? Well, in the province of God, we're coming to a verse today that is a great summary of everything we've seen in Ephesians so far. Friends, starting next week, we're actually going to pause Ephesians for about four or five weeks. We're going to do Advent again. We're going to focus on the Advent season and who Christ is. And I think we're all going to take a little sigh of relief after some of the weight of Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll pick back up with Ephesians 5, verse 2 in January. But as we come today, only in the promise of God could we land on a summary verse of the whole book right before we pause our study. Because in our verse today, we're going to be reminded of what our identity is. It's going to give us a good little summary in a few words of all of what chapter 1 through 3 of Ephesians was all about. It's also going to give us a very pointed command to obey about how we live because of our identity, how our behavior should be. But this verse is particularly helpful as we think about all of Ephesians because it's going to remind us of the connection between our identity and our actions, how our identity really does determine our actions, how it leads to our behavior. I pray in our short verse today that you'll be encouraged in what God has done for you. I pray today it would anchor us in our identity in Christ, and it would lead to, even as we go into the holidays, even greater holiness in our lives. So it's a short verse, 
but very fitting today as we come to a pause in our study of Ephesians and as we celebrate communion. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and we're praying that God will bless these readings, these eight words of the Lord to us today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, before I pray, this is so short. I want us to read this out loud together. Because this is so short, but yet it's so powerful. And so we can get our mind around our identity here and get our, get, let the Holy Spirit change to our behaviors, what's commanded here. Friends, this would revolutionize our lives, our homes, and our churches. So I want us to read this out loud together. If you'll follow along on the screen with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray today that your Holy Spirit will take these eight simple words and breathe life into them, into my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters. That God, your word today would come alive to us. That we would grasp what it means to be your beloved children. That we would grasp today what our calling is to imitate you. And God, you would shake up our lives and our families and our church, Lord, because we're by your grace able to start experiencing this verse more and more. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One thing I want you to see from this morning, and really we could just put the verse on the screen as our main point, right? You know, it's kind of hard to change an eight-word verse and make it into main point. But I want to emphasize something because the order is really important. So I want us to see our main point this morning simply this. As beloved children of God, we should imitate Him. I want to start with our identity that we are beloved children of God. And then what flows out of that identity? What is the connection that comes out of that that we should now imitate Him? Let's start with this idea that as children of God, as beloved children, we should imitate imitate him. So let's look at this. Let's start back in chapter 5, verse 1, and notice the very first word of the verse, and that's the word therefore. Now, therefore is always important in Scripture, and context is always important, but even more so today. Because if your Bible looks like mine, I see a big number 5 right before this. I see a header right before this, and it looks like it's a whole new thought and a whole new idea. There's a whole new section of it. And I'm really thankful again, the promise of God, we're hitting it today and not in after the first of the year, because this, this just remember, chapters and verses were added later to help us. They were not part of the original text. Paul did not take a break here. He's connecting what he's saying today with everything else that has happened before. And he's going to say, therefore, we're to do something because of who we are. So don't you think about what he's been showing us. Chapters 1 through 3 was all about our identity in Christ. When we hit chapter 4, a new section of his letter there, which is an appropriate break for a, a section in our Bible there, we hit that he starts introducing a new idea in chapter 4 of now how do you live because of it. Even in all of his commands of how we live, he keeps anchoring us in our identity over and over again. Just follow along on the screen or you can look back just a few verses of our identity before this therefore today. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Our identity is something that God has given to us. He has called us. This is very passive. That He has handed to us an identity that is not one that we have sought out. Chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Our identity is not just a me and Jesus identity. As we've seen all throughout Ephesians, our identity is we belong together. It's a corporate identity together as the body of Christ, but an identity that is full of hope that we have because of what God has done. Chapter 4, verse 24. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, we have an identity that's been created by God that's described in terms of holiness. And when God sees us, he sees his righteousness. He sees his holiness. Chapter 4, verse 30, that we've already seen before. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We have an identity that is secure because he is the one who has done it. He is the one holding us. And where we got to last week, chapter 4, verse 32 
be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That he has forgiven us, that we are restored to a right relationship with him. So in the midst of chapter 4, which has been really heavy on our commands about our speech and how we're to live, I don't want us to lose sight of what he has done for us. That he has called us together, he's forgiven us, he's sealed us, he has made us holy. Now when we come to that, listen to chapter 4, verse 32 and 5, 1 together, because there was no chapter break in Paul's writings. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Because God's called you, because God has forgiven you, because God's sealed you, because God's done all this for you now, realize you are, first of all, beloved children. There's perhaps no phrase that better summarizes all of Ephesians and our identity in Christ than this, that we are beloved children of God. We're not just loved children of God, friends. We are beloved children of God. And don't miss that, friends. I love all kids, but there's only three kids who are beloved to me. And that's my three. There's a special love I have, though. I love all kids. I have a special love for Grady and Richard and Mary Elizabeth because they're my children. I love them with a type of love different than I love other kids. Friends, we are beloved by God. This word beloved is actually a Greek word, agapatos, and it sounds similar to agape. It comes from that same root word. This is a summary word for the type of love that God has. It's a special, a covenantal love that he has for his people. He says, you are beloved. And friends, the very word that God uses to describe us if we're in Christ, look at where else God used it. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, this is at Jesus' baptism. The heavens open, and listen to what happens. And behold, a voice from heaven, this is God the Father speaking. He says, this is my what? Beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's the exact same word in the Greek here, in Ephesians 5.1, as it is in Matthew 3.17. God the Father uses the exact same word. At Jesus is about to say, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. Go listen to him. He's beloved by me to describe the relationship the father has for the son in the Trinity. God now takes that exact same word in Ephesians chapter 5 and says to us, you are my beloved children, friends. If we are in Christ, we are beloved. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where we have this great description of when God chose to beloved us in this way, to give us this covenantal agape love. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love. Now, let me stop there. The word for love here is agape love. In agape love. Now, verse 5. In agape love, then, he, verse 5, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Friends, before time began, God chose to show us his agape love. He chose to make us his beloved before even the world was created. That is an incredible identity that we have, that the Father speaks to us, that I love you with a covenant love like I, the Father, love the Son, love Jesus. Friends, if we really grasp that identity, friends, it should change us in some way. Think back to that billionaire friend. When I ask you if you were friends with a billionaire after several years would change you, everyone nods, yes, it would. Friends, the creator of the world, the one who the praise team was just playing about is the exalted one, is the one who now says, you are my beloved child. Friends, that identity should change us in some ways. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Two important words to help us understand how his love for us changes us. Therefore, Next word, be, the short little word, be. Here's a command, friends. There's an imperative. This is not a suggestion that if 
We are a child of God. What follows is an imperative, is a command. If we have been forgiven by Him, everything we've been seeing, then there's a command that we are now to follow because of it. This is not a suggestion. This word be is present tense. It's an ongoing action that if we are loved by God, then every moment of every day we are to be doing something. Now, before we see what we're supposed to do, there's an important little word here as well that we must not miss. Therefore, be imitated of God as beloved children. Notice that short little word here, and let's not miss this. He does not say, therefore, be imitators of God to become beloved children. He rather says, as beloved children, therefore, be imitators of God. In fact, the command here is sandwiched between these descriptions of who we are. Go back to chapter 4, verse 32. Listen to how it, it, it squishes together here as we read these together. As God in Christ, last phrase, as God in Christ forgave you, there's your identity, now chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Notice the command is sandwiched between our identity. As forgiven, as loved by God, now therefore be on a daily basis, moment by moment, doing something. And what is that command that we do because of what he's already done for us? It's therefore be imitators of God. What a stunning command. He says, I have already loved you with a covenantal love before time began. I see you as my beloved children, my special children who I love dearly, deep from my heart. He said, I've forgiven you. I've made you my children now. I want you to ongoing be doing something. And that's just simply, go imitate me now. It's this word imitate is is the same Greek word where we get mimic from. It means to copy the character or the behavior of another person. God is saying the command to us is moment by moment, remember we're deeply loved by God. Because that moment by moment, to be imitating Him, to be copying His character in all that we do every moment of every day. So when you see this is not just like a random command, but this is God's plan from before time even began. His will for us to be His imitators goes back to even before He made the world. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Notice this. For those whom He foreknew... Before time began, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You could perhaps put the word imitate right there, to imitate Jesus, to copy Jesus. We're to be conformed to the character of Christ. We're to copy Christ in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That God's plan before time even began was for us to be conformed to the character of Christ, for us to imitate Christ. Now, for instance, it's certainly going to happen one day. First John chapter 3, verse 2. This is a certainty of what's to come. Beloved, notice that word again. It's describing us if we're in Christ. Beloved, we are God's children now. Take hope in that, friends. But listen to this. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Okay, we're already experiencing the love of God for us. But friends, there's something even better coming for us. Listen to what it says. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be imitators of him. There's no way we can describe that. Because we shall see him as he is. Friends, the day is coming that God's plan, Romans 8, 29, before time began will come to happen for sure. Not a guess. If we're in Christ, this will certainly happen, that we will one day be conformed to the image of Christ where we will be able to copy Him and His character and His holiness and His love and those type things. So what happens in between? What happens between His his determination before time began that we as children would copy Him and the certainty in the future when Christ returns, it will happen? What should happen in that in-between that we're in right now? We should be growing in imitating Him. We should be growing in our understanding that we are children of God and it should be leading us to grow in imitating Him more and more. Now, friends, what in the world does it mean to imitate God? I mean, that sounds all nice and good, but like, what does that actually practically look like in our day-to-day life? As I look at the Scripture, I can find four places in Scripture where this idea of imitating God is explicitly spelled out for us to tell us what this looks like in different areas of our life. And I want to show you these. First, Luke chapter 6, 
verse 36. Jesus says, be merciful even as, so here's the example for us, your Father is merciful. So you want to know what it looks like to imitate God? Well, God is merciful to us. Therefore, now, as he's merciful to us, we are to be merciful to others. Mercy is not giving people what they deserve. That means we're called to imitate God's character, to be growing and becoming more merciful to other people. We've seen it in Ephesians as well, other ways of how we imitate God. We just read it, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as, there's that word again, God in Christ forgave you. How do we imitate God? Well, we look at how God forgave us and we now forgive others who have sinned against us like we saw last week by not holding their sins against them. We forgive others as God forgave us. That's imitating God. We're going to get to it when we start back Ephesians in January after the Christmas break. But the very next verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It's a huge command. It's a great command for us to think about as we start 2019. And walk in love, live in a loving way. That's what that means. As Christ loved us. How do we imitate God? We love other people in the same way that God has loved us. That's a self-sacrificial love that we'll talk more about where we choose to do good to other people. Do you notice so far in all three of these four I've mentioned, how we imitate God is all about how we relate to other people. Be merciful, be forgiving, be loving. Three of the four texts in Scripture that show us specifically, as God something, you go do something now, have to do with our relationships with other people, which is all what chapter 4 has been about, hasn't it? Here's your identity in Christ. Now you go live it out in terms of other people. As God has done this for you, now you go do this for others. As you're merciful, as you're forgiving, as you're loving to him. But there's one more text that shows us how we imitate God. This is found in the Old Testament Leviticus and it's quoted in 1 Peter. So I'll show you 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, here's that children language again that's, that's so common scripture for us. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Then verse 15 for, tells us, but... As, here's that comparison, how do we imitate God? As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Not in some, but in all. Look to the holiness of God, and now we imitate that in terms of all of our, con- and all of our, of all of our decisions, all of our conduct, all of our words. Friends, between God's decision before time began to make us his beloved children, who would be imitating Christ and be conformed to his image and the future time when we will do that fully when sin is done away with when temptation is done away when we see him face to face and we're free from all the bondage of this world which causes us to keep stumbling in sin and in between all that we should be growing and imitating God in his love and in his holiness and friends that's a progressive process for us it's God's will for us as his beloved children to be imitating him but friends that raises two questions at least in my thinking maybe yours. How do we imitate God? How do we grow in imitating God? And the answer is what we've already seen in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, told us how do we grow in imitating God? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. Notice the imagery here. Here's imitating God again. Our new self is created after the likeness, after imitating God in true righteousness and in holiness. How do we grow in that? We put off our old simple ways that do not imitate God, that imitate the world. We put on ways that imitate Christ. And how do we do that? Verse 23 in the middle, by renewing our minds. And as we talked about when we saw that a while back, we renew our minds with the Word of God. As we let the Word of God change us, as the Spirit of God applies it to our lives. Friends, that raises a second question to me. What if, as children of God, as beloved children of God, we are not seeking to imitate him? What happens if we fall short, and we do fall short in that, when, in not imitating God in all things? Well, 
think about parenting. Let me clarify. Think about good parenting in this. What do good parents do when their kids are not imitating them as they should, when the kids are not obeying? A good parent disciplines their kid in love because they want what's best for our kids. So, friends, what happens? Again, this is God's will, Romans eight twenty nine. that before time began, he chose us to make us conform to the image of Christ, to be imitators of Christ. First John, it is going to certainly happen. His will between that is for us to be growing in our imitating of God. What happens when we seek not to imitate God? You go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'll have it up on the screen for you. You can flip there as well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse, sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. That word love there is the same word agape. The ones that God has a special covenantal love for, he disciplines. He doesn't discipline all. He disciplines those he loves. For just the same way, I love kids, but I don't get up at Chick-fil-A and go give a spanking to a kid across Chick-fil-A who needs one. I only discipline my own children because I love my children with a special love. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. In other words, he loves you with a beloved sense of love. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 8, if you are left without discipline, in which all participate, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Friend, we need to stop there and pause. This is very fitting as we come to celebrate communion in a few minutes as well. Friends, if we are not seeking to imitate God in all areas of our life, then God disciplines us if we're his child. Friends, if we are persisting in unrepentant sin... And there is no discipline. There is no conviction from the Lord. There's no sense of God pursuing us to discipline us because he loves us. Friend, we need to go back and ask, am I really a child of God? Because there's lots of people who prayed prayers, walked aisles, gotten baptism, done all the motions, but never really in their hearts surrendered to Christ as Lord. Friends, if we are in Christ, it's not that we're going to be sinless. We all sin. I sin and you sin. But when we sin and if we persist in unrepentant sin, God will discipline us. He will pursue us. He will chase us down in his love for us. And why does he chase us down in his love for us to discipline us? Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he, listen to this, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his what? In his holiness. He disciplines us so we can better imitate him. He disciplines us so we can share in his holiness here. And then verse 11 acknowledges the reality that none of us like. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. There's no mincing of words here. Discipline is not fun. When we were children and our parents disciplined us, it was not fun. When our Heavenly Father disciplines us, friends, it's not fun. It's painful, not pleasant. But listen to this. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, of imitating God to those who have been trained by it. Friends, as beloved children of God, we should be growing in imitating Him. And if we are children of God, he will ensure that we grow in imitating him. Either as we go to his word and feast on it and we put off our old ways and put on our new ways. Or if we don't do that, he will ensure that as his children we imitate him because he will pursue us and he will discipline us to bring us to the place that we do grow in imitating him. As beloved children of God, friends, we should be growing in imitating him. So I want to pause and ask myself and you as well, not just for communion reflection, but because it affects so much of our lives, all of our lives, because it's about our relationship with the Lord. And that's this question. Am I growing in imitating God, or am I growing in imitating the world? 
Which am I growing in? If I look at the pattern of my life, am I growing in imitating God in the way I am merciful, in the way I'm forgiving, in the way I am loving, and in my personal holiness? Even when no one is looking, and am I more and more growing in imitating God, or am I more and more looking like the world? I don't know about you. For me, it helps to put things in time periods. So while I, as I was thinking through this in my own life this week, I started asking questions like, am I holier now than when I first became a Christian? Friends, think back to when you first understood who Jesus was and you bowed your knee and you confessed him as your Lord. Friends, are you different in your holiness? Are you different in your love? Are you different in your mercy? Have you grown in all that? Because that is his plan. My friends, I need to get sometimes more specific. That. Am I holier than I was six months ago? Am I more merciful than I was last year? Am I more forgiving than I was three years ago? Am I more loving than I was five years ago? Friends, the pattern of the Christian life is that we should be growing in imitating God. It's His will, it's His plan for us. And so we need to pause at times and ask, am I growing in this? Do I see God pursuing me in such a way that I can with integrity say, yes, by God's grace, not because of me, I'm holier than I was six months ago. I'm more forgiving to people than I was last year. I'm more loving than I was a few years ago. And friends, when we see areas where we're not, because there's areas where I still need to grow and there's areas where you need to grow, what do we do when we see that? We find that there's areas we're not imitating God. What do we do? We'll go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Because I don't want us to come away from this with just a white-knuckled determination. I'm going to try harder to follow Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Here is our hope when we find areas where we're short in imitating God. That according to the riches of His glory, He, God, may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Friends, the hope is not that I have some self-determination. I'm just going to try harder. The hope is not a new book I'm going to get. The hope is that if I am a beloved child of God, one thing that means is that He, the Holy Spirit, is now within me. And if you're a beloved child of God, then He, the Holy Spirit, is within you. And He yearns jealously over you. And He's there not just so you get a pass to get out of hell. He's there within you to point you to Christ, to reveal Christ to you, to show you who God is, to convict you when you sin, to give you strength to resist temptation, to realize that every time you're tempted, there is a way out. He is at work actively within you, doing all that in your heart and in your life. And the hope of us changing to imitate God more is not, I'm going to try harder, but it's rather, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit take more control of me. Look at what can happen when He does. Chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Friends, if there's some sin struggle in your life that you just feel like, I can't beat, I can never imitate God in holiness because of my anger, because of my selfishness, because of my love of money, because of my pornography, because of my unfaithfulness, whatever it is, it doesn't matter because... In Christ, if you are a beloved child of God, you have the Holy Spirit, and He can do far more abundantly than you ask or think. He can break whatever sin strongholds are bringing you down, keeping you from imitating God in those areas of your life. Not because of you, but because of what He can do in you. He's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And so, friends, my challenge for us this morning is, as beloved children of God, let's look to His grace, because His grace can and will change us to help us grow in imitating Him. As we understand more of what it means to be His beloved children, He will give us the grace to grow in imitating Him. Because we reflect on that, it's very fitting as we come to the Thanksgiving season, but also as we think about what He's done for us, and all we've seen in Ephesians, to celebrate what He's done for us, to celebrate that grace in communion, in the Lord's Supper. Friends, it is an incredible reminder of what made it possible for you and I to be beloved children of God. It's an incredible reminder as well for us of what he's called us to do, and that is to follow him and to imitate him. As we think about communion before we 
receive it this morning. I want to read us from 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll have the words on the screen for you. It's a text to challenge us, but a text to give us some reflection because we don't want to rush into this celebration. I want us to remember what it is that made us beloved children of God and the high cost that it came. Because, friends, for us to be beloved children of God was free to us, but it came at a high cost. Let's not miss that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 14 here. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, you were rescued from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, Listen to verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, if we are going to be, if we're going to be his children, it's not because of anything you and I do. We can never work our way to God, but we were ransomed. We were rescued by God. And what were we rescued with? All the gold and silver in the world couldn't rescue us. What rescues us is verse 19 here, the precious blood of Christ. Because he's our lamb. He was the sacrifice that went and died on the cross to take the place you and I deserve because in the holiness of God, God could not overlook sin. He couldn't look at you and be like, man, I like you. Let's pretend you didn't sin. Come on, you're okay. He would cease to be holy if he did not punish sin. He would cease to be just. And if he's not holy and not just, he ceases to be God, and that's impossible for him. Therefore, sin has to be punished. Either we take the punishment because we've offended his justice, we've offended his glory, we've offended his perfection and holiness, or he takes it for us. So, friends, when we can never get to God on our own, he made a way. Christ came, what we were celebrating over the next four weeks of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Not about a cute baby in a manger. It's God coming in human flesh to fulfill this law that we have broken every moment just about of every day. To fulfill it perfectly so he wouldn't stay a baby in a manger, but to come to be tempted and always if we're tempted yet to not sin. To be faced with the law and to fulfill it perfectly so he could go to that cross and take the penalty you and I deserve to be the perfect sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. So that the Father who looked at the Son and said, You are my beloved Son, can now look at us and say, You are my beloved child also. Come have a seat at my table. And the only way that we can be beloved children of God, seated with Christ at the table of the Father, is if Christ himself comes and becomes our sacrifice by spilling his precious blood. Friends, what we celebrate in communion is his body. That's what the bread symbolizes. That he let his body be broken and nailed to that cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. What we celebrate with the juice here is that his blood was poured out. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So I want to invite you this morning, if you are a child of God, if you know you're a beloved child of God, it doesn't matter if you're a member of Gateway or not, what matters is do you know you've been forgiven by God? You've received his mercy and his love, and that he can look at you and say, you are my beloved child. If you know that, friend, if you know that your sins are forgiven because of what Christ did, you are welcome to come partake in communion with us. But I want to give you a challenge with that. This is a serious occasion for us. It's not something we do haphazardly. We do it to remember the sacrifice, to worship him, to say thanks to him for what he's done. So I hope you'll take a minute after you receive the, the bread and the juice, not to rush through it, but to pray and to talk to him, particularly to ask him, is there any sin in my life that I'm not dealing with, Lord? Because this is a time for us as well to take this in a serious way and to remember that he called us not just to, so we can go to heaven one day, he called us to be obedient children now. And as the Spirit of God speaks to us and shows us areas in our life where we've not repented, for it's just where you're sitting, just confess them to God. It's the brilliant, the, the beautiful promise, I should say, of Scripture. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just 
to forgive you of your sins, and even better, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So as you receive this, reflect on your status of, I'm a beloved child of God. Thank him for it. Worship him for it. Search your heart. Let him search your heart. If you see sin, confess it. And then take this with a heart full of thanksgiving that he has done what you could not do. He has made you his child. He's forgiven you. He's cleansed you. And now he's given you every spiritual blessing in the, hell, in the heavenlies. So come celebrate and rejoice at his goodness. Friends, I do need to say this is only for those who know their followers of Christ. If you're not sure, if you're not sure I really am a follower of Christ, I just want to encourage you to stay where you're seated. No one's going to look at you funny for doing that. This is a celebration for those who really believe that the body and blood of Christ were broken and spilled so that we could be forgiven and be his children. If that's not you, would you take this time and stay where you're seated and just pray? And why not just pray a simple prayer of God? I think these people around me are all crazy. I'm not sure that you're even real. But if you are, would you show yourself to me? Would you at least take that step of faith and say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. See what he does in the today and in the weeks to come. I'm going to pray for us. Our praise team will come receive the elements, and our deacons will come help direct you as you come to the front to receive communion. Let's celebrate God for his goodness and the high cost that there was so that we could be his beloved children. Would you pray with me? Father, we do rejoice in your goodness to us today. Lord, to think that you took us, who were your enemies, and God, you made us your beloved children. Lord, what a precious thought that is. And God, I do pray that today that you would let us celebrate that, that as we receive communion as your children, God, we would not do this just as something we do once a month here at the church. But God, we'd receive it with hearts full of gratitude, hearts full of thankfulness, hearts full of worship, hearts full of longing to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ, to be more and more become obedient children. God, only you can work that. So would you fill each one of us who knows you with your Holy Spirit, God? Would your Holy Spirit speak to us and just fill our hearts with worship and thankfulness Fill hearts with conviction where conviction is needed. God, I pray that we would worship you in response by remembering the high cost of our salvation that made us your beloved children. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.